And we're back for another episode. Welcome everyone to Bottled Up. My name is Ujwal and I'm your host today. And today I sit down with Rishi Kerr. He's a very special person. He's a great friend of mine and someone who's been heavily involved in the mental health space with his own. We dive deep into a number of different themes and we reflect on his journey for leaving the corporate world, uh, dealing with the loss of a close friend and recognizing the importance of having a close-knit family and how that relates to mental health. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this one because I really enjoyed this conversation. So without further ado, Rishi Kerr. All right, and we're live. Rishi, welcome to Bottled Up. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, been a while now that we've been chatting, but you're here finally. So yeah, excited. Finally here. Thank, thank you, Ujwal. It's an absolute pleasure to be speaking to you. And I've just been following everything that you and the team at Bottle Up have been doing. And it's just phenomenal and really glad to be part of this journey that you guys are on. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, I'm excited to share your story. Um, like from the first time I think we met at the cricket, who knew we'd be here now <laughs> doing this podcast? Um, but your story, from what I've heard, it has some invaluable messages, some timely lessons about mental health and going into how it's obviously important now, but it's played a huge role in your life before before this year. So there's so many different ways we could go about this, but why don't we go back to the start? Like what was life like back then in, in university, you know? Yeah, I um, <laughs> I had a great time at university. I was, I believe I was quite lucky actually, in fact, that um, I had a wonderful opportunity where I was working and studying at the same time. So I had a, an opportunity where I got a cadetship role at one of the big four accounting firms. So when I was in year 12, I remember applying and interviewing. And actually before my year 12 exams, I found out that I got an offer at one of these firms. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, this is fantastic. I don't need to worry about studying for the rest of year 12. I can actually enjoy myself and make the most of it. And make the most of it, I, I definitely did. And when I, when I went to uni, basically, I was working from day one. I was working in the big four environment and I was studying at the same time. So I was one of those guys that, that rocked up to uni wearing a suit. So there, there were some people that, that would laugh and stare at you being like, who is this guy who's rocking up two days a week in a suit? But it, also, it was also quite a nice dressing up, um, you know, treating uni a bit differently. Like every time I went to uni, it was more of a social event for me. I remember you'd go to classes, but a lot of the time you'd be there just to hang out with friends and, and mingle with people. So I had a fantastic journey at uni. I remember it's really interesting because when I reflect on all of this, a lot of people say, well, did you actually enjoy your uni life because you were working half the time? So I can't, I can't really comment and see if I missed out on something, but I always made sure that I made the most of it. So I'd be, I'd be the last one leaving the social events or the, <laughs> you know, the balls and, and all of these things to make the most of it. Wow, sounds like just a jam-packed life that you were just doing everything. And it'd be pretty daunting, I'd imagine, to enter the corporate world at such a young age and to get accustomed to the way life works there at the same time you're trying to find your feet socially at uni. And was there a lot of pressure early on um, to get your, get your hands around all that? Because it sounds like a lot to digest. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I knew when I was in year 9 and 10 that I wanted to get into business and get into the, that corporate world. Like wearing a suit and a tie was something I always aspired and wanted to achieve. So um, when I achieved that, like that challenge of, and the opportunity that presented itself, I, I absolutely cherished it. And I was like, this is where I want to be. Um, these are the people I want to be mingling with and the networks I want to make. So it was actually really refreshing leaving a school environment, um, you know, testing yourself up against people that were more senior 
in that space. So I, I loved it. The pressures did come um, as expectations started rising in the workplace. Mm. But I mean, everyone knows that, you know, you're a 19 year old kid, so they, they kind of give you a bit of leeway. Did you feel there was any pressure from your parents um, and, you know, the, the cultural factors? Because I know when I was like around your age back then, I had some level of aspiration to, you know, put that suit and tie on and go and work at, in, like a, in a high rise building. But I wasn't sure whether that came from what other people wanted to do or whether it was something that I truly desired within myself. Was there a bit of conflict like that? Because that, that's so prominent in people from our backgrounds, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I mean, that always existed. I, I had a lot of family friends that I grew up with that were always older than me. And you see the kind of careers that they go into and within family circles, you have your parents and aunties and uncles talking at every gathering, you know, like when you're in year 10 and 11, what do you want to be? And you kind of put it out there and, and you might have a few of them, you know, judging. And if you don't say doctor or lawyer at the time, then they're wondering, what are you thinking? And I remember at that time, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I, I knew I wanted this cadetship. Like I wanted to get in that corporate environment. Um, so the the family in my case were quite reasonable that they said, look, Rishi, whatever you want to do, like we're happy for you to do. When I got that cadetship, in my case, they kind of um, let go of the pressures. They, they knew that I had job security, that I had something lined up. So from that point on, I was very lucky. I had free reign to actually travel a bit. Um, to explore things I wanted to do on the side. Like it was a real pressure release for mm. me, but I can appreciate everyone's different. So those pressures for other people can exist throughout university, like until you get that first job. Um, it might even be not even when you got your first job, like for some people it could be like until you get that house. Um, mm. Like a, a very valid pressure I still have now is, um, so I've, I've obviously been working for about 10 years or so. Um, the number one question my parents always ask me is like, so where's all your savings? Like, <laughs> where's the house that you should have bought now? Um, and I'd be telling them, look, I've been enjoying my life and I've been traveling and every dollar I've spent has actually been education for me and I'm using that in, in my work and um, building relationships. But that's, I mean, it's why we're talking here as well, but it's, it's about taking uh, what people are saying constructively if you can um, using that as motivation. So my big challenge at the moment is like, I want to buy a house. Like it's been a while coming. Yep. I haven't let, let it weigh me down, but I'm like, okay, that's the next thing I want to do. Yep. Um, and I always set myself that as a long goal. Like it was something like, okay, my parents want me to do this, but is it going to make me happy right now? Uh, and for me, it never was. Like I remember the, one of the first things I did was I went and bought a Mustang. I was like, look, I want to buy a car. When the Mustang came out, and I bought it. I did it. Um, it was a dumb decision because I ended up selling it a year later because I quit my job. But, um, but I look back and, and like right now, I'm like, oh, should I buy a car? And I'm like, no, Rishi, you've learned this before. You should probably save my money and buy a house. So, yeah, you learn from, from many things. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes there's so many people that tell you that you shouldn't do something, but you have to learn it the hard way and actually do it. I feel like you just, yep. sometimes it's, you have to lead the way and actually go through that experience. You mentioned there also that you quit your job. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that was a, a very interesting point in my life. So I was 25 at the time and I'd always told myself once um, I got into the cadetship role that I would reassess where I'm at within five or six years to see Okay, am I am I on my way to partner? Which is if you're if you're an accountant and you go into a big four and you're a graduate, you're like, I'm gonna get the ten year partner plan, like I'm gonna be that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the time when I was eighteen, that's what I wanted to do. And I always told myself, look, after I finish my CA, I'll reassess and I'll see have have I got to where I want to be and and is this the same pathway I wanna go. 
And when I finished my CA and after seven years of experience, which I was very fortunate to have by the time I was 25, I saw the real world of what the corporate world was like. And it's fantastic for the networks. And like, you know, if, um, if that's the experience you want to build and the type of person you want to be in the long term, that's great. Yeah. But I had a lot of values that were probably more entrenched on trying to give back to the community, um, using my skill set to do something a bit exciting, novel, new. So when I got to that point, I was also lucky that I'd build up um, my long service leave. I also had um, a, another important factor that, that was part of my decision making at the time. So I've got a younger brother, his name's Rohan, um, four years younger than me. He's got an intellectual disability and we've, we're a very tight-knit family, um, like we're fantastic brothers and he was at an age at that time where he was 21 and I'd always told myself that I'd love to have a time in my life where I've spent time with him. Uh, may that be, you know, sitting with him to mm. probably bonding, like, yeah. you know, at the right age to, to talk about stuff, to play video games, to, to read, write, to actually spend time with him. Because with the corporate lifestyle, I was out of home, like, from, like, 7 to, like, 8 p.m. most oh, nights, wow. yeah? And then, yeah. like, weekends you'll be working, then you've got uni, and then on top of that I'd be travelling for, like, three months of the year. So I was like, okay, this is actually a really good time to spend time with my brother and hopefully make a meaningful impact on his life for the long term because we might not get this opportunity again. So I remember speaking to my partner at my partner at, um, at my accounting firm at the time and saying, look, this is, this is my decision, this is my rationale, um, I want to spend time with my brother. And they were actually really good. They suggested, look, would you like to work part-time initially to actually spend two days a week at home and see how that goes. Okay. So I did that for six months and it was phenomenal. Like those two days a week I was spending at home made a massive difference in my brother's life. I could see him um, being more active, more happy. And I was like, yeah, this is the right decision. So when I came back to the firm and I said, look, actually, I'm going to take um, six to 12 months off. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's just going to be something different. Um, my parents never pressured me to do that. They were like, okay, um, we hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> they, were, they were very, very concerned, especially mom. She's like, what? Like, we're here to look after him. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not a, like, secure your future. So, I mean, reflecting on this now, like five, six years later, is probably one of the best decisions I made. And so many things changed from that time on. Well, that's a, that's a beautiful story, man, to, to take time out of your career, to spend with your family. Um, that would, I can imagine that would evoke a sense of gratitude that you can't really have in any other way. And I can relate to that because I've also spent a lot of time with family in the last you know, year or so, um, taking care of people in, in my family. And when, when, when you have those down times and you spend you know, every day with your family, it, it really helps you focus on the real small things, you know, just waking up every day and saying hi to them. I'm sure you would have had days like those as well, just you know, chatting with your brother, and it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but even playing video games, I'm sure you'd have memories that you'd be like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, and I mean, on that, like, if I reflect on like what really brought our, fam our family together, yeah. I mean, every family is different, but I'm sure a lot of people can relate, is we made the effort to travel together as a family mm. to different countries and do these kind of trips. So we've done Japan as a family, we've done South Africa as a family, wow. um, we've done America as a family, and when you're traveling together in the car and you're visiting places, you're sharing each other's space, 
you're building memories. Mm. And I think the important thing is you're building memories outside of the home. Mm. I mean, we all, let's be honest, we all get sick of like sometimes our family when you're always living under the same house and like mum's nagging you for the same things that you yeah, do yeah. or do this or do that. And you're like, seriously, like, I don't want to talk to you right now. I've got my own stuff to deal with. <laughs> Um, but when you're on holiday, it changes that whole dynamic, yeah? Yeah, So yeah. I, I'd, I'd, I'd put that to a big reason why our family has always been close. Mm. And I remember um, for the first four or five years when I was like um, 18 to 22, I traveled like <laughs> with my friends and by myself and mum and dad, they would always say like, why don't you take us? Like, and then like it actually, Penny actually dropped when I was like 23, 24. And I was like, wait, I've been to Europe. I've done America. Um, I've been to South America. Now I can actually take my family there. Like, you know, I've done this whole, like, um, the Airbnb stuff. I know where to go. So, like, one of the first trips I planned was the America trip where I was like, okay, I got this. Like, guys, I've got the itinerary. Um, I'll take you. And, like, my mum and dad, they still, to this point, reference that trip. Like, they look at those photos. They, like, they share it with their friends. And they're like, oh, I wish you took us here. And stuff like that. You're like, oh, your parents, like, that's a memory that they're never going to forget. And at this age, they're looking at it and, you know, they've got a glint in their eyes, which is the most rewarding thing. Mm. I don't want to stereotype here, but there's so many families that I know, including mine, where the parents have only been either to, like, Australia and India, and that's about it <laughs> in their whole <laughs> That's thing. about it. And, yeah. yeah, it's true. We've only ever been to, like, a lot of, if we're talking about, um, say, people in our group have um, only been to India. I went to India in December and it was actually a very different trip where me and my friends, we got together and we said, hey, let's do India, but let's do it completely different to how we've done it. Let, let's go and like, let's visit hostels and like, let's do Rajasthan. And let's mm. like, the hardest part is like, okay, when you go to India, your family and extended family are going to know you're there. So how yeah. on earth do you like not spend more than like two weeks? But I remember like we, we made a pact. We said, okay, we'll spend time with our family there, but we'll just do one week in and out and then we'll catch up and we'll do, we'll do a trip and we'll go around. But that India trip, and like I've traveled a lot, as we've talked about, is probably been one of my most favorite trips. Um, just, you know, connecting with our culture, visiting the sites and seeing places that you would otherwise not see. Um, hostels in India are incredible. They're, mm. they're actually out of this world. I would say they're better than Europe. So, wow. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm so keen. Uh, I wish I could go to India now, but I don't think that's happening anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Would, shouldn't be talking about travel right now, should we? Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, travel, travel has a huge part in mental health, I think. Like, if, even for me, when I, when I spent a few months in England, just being in that new environment, it does wonders for your brain to, you know, it's almost like if you look at the science of it, you're creating new connections, firing and wiring. And just being in a different environment from what you're accustomed to, it can just lighten your mood up. I, th- I, think, I think that's really important. I mean, what you just mentioned is you're meeting new people. Like, mm. I'm reflecting on, like, my past week. Like, I've just had the opportunity to meet a few new people. But things have started to open up now, so I'm not doing anything illegal. Like, but um, I've, I've had, like, a few work things come up where I've gone to clients. And, like, I've met some new people that are just, like, amazing, interesting human beings. Um, and just thinking about these new interactions has made me feel better. Like, you mm. know, like, I can have a new interaction with someone and it's fruitful, and it might be a new friendship. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens when you go overseas, yeah? You meet, you meet completely different people who change your mindset, who either give you confidence on who you are as a person, or you learn something from them. So, yeah, these are things you can't learn from a textbook. Um, that's, this is what I always used to tell my parents. I was like, this is worth its weight in gold. Like, this trip that I'm spending 5K on, like, it's going to pay itself off one day. And it, I reckon it has. 
Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more with that. And that message definitely needs to spread more with our community because sometimes you think, why are you going there? Why don't you do your internship over the summer? I'm like, you're late. You know, you might. <laughs> uh, I mean, the conversation now is going to be like, I'm not going overseas, but can I travel within Australia? Like, how exciting is this prospect that I can travel within my country? I can see different places and connect with people there. So we can do the same thing. So you had the time of your life, it seems like, in that, was it 12 months of you had a fair bit of travel? Yeah, so this is the, so the, the time that I, since I left um, the big four, I did have about 12 months. Uh, I had the time of my life, but I also, and this sounds strange because I'm an accountant, but I, I committed probably the biggest cardinal sin where I failed to budget correctly. So everything mm. that I'd saved or that I'd cashed out from my and. Um, long service leave within like two months it was all gone because i'd gone to croatia mm. i'd spent it all i'd come back and i was like damn now i need to get a job like <laughs> I, like you know i can't i can't just live at home yeah so i i remember i did some interesting things so like um i actually decided to become an uber driver oh, um i'm an accountant so i knew like if i buy a new car i can get a tax deduction for it and Uber was kind of taking off and I was like, okay, I might do this on the side. I might like give it a whirl, see how it goes. I remember the first Uber ride I did, um, I was really nervous and I, and I picked up this girl and by the end of it, um, before she was leaving, she's like, oh, by the way, can I have your number? I was like, <laughs> no way. What? I was, like, I was like, really? Like, this is, is this what Uber driving is? Um, never happened again. <laughs> but um, but the first time it happened, I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty funny. And it just made me realize like, oh, actually... There's something about like a personality and a connection with another human being that that you can you can connect with someone else. And I had the greatest time being an Uber driver in that sense. Like I initially, I was only going to do it for like a couple of days just to make like a hundred bucks or something. Mm. Um, but every time it was like a reality TV show. It was like who's going to enter your car? Like who's going to be the passenger? And you know, with you and you have a conversation. Like I met musicians. I met like um, film people. I met so many people that were like, are you an accountant? Like, I need an accountant. I was like, damn, I don't have an accounting business. But like at this time, I didn't have any business like that. But they're like, oh, you're an accountant. Like, I have so many questions. And I was like, oh, I can actually help you. And the most, I mean, the most rewarding thing was um, by the end of the, com- uh, so, no, at the start of the conversation, yeah. people would, would judge me. Like they'd stereotype. They'd be like, okay, this is an Indian guy. And then they'd be like, oh, how long have you been working today? And I was like, I don't do this full time. Like, you know, I've, I've got a dance company on the side. I'm an accountant. I've got a few other initiatives I'm doing. Uh, I've got a not-for-profit. And they'd be like, what? Like, you, you do this? You don't just drive Uber? I'm like, no, I'm not just an Uber driver. Um, and I feel like by the end, it changes the stereotype. Like, you know, what they might have thought of people from our background, which I was really proud to be like, yeah, no, we, we're contributing to society and we don't just drive cars around. I feel like you've used your strengths in a variety of ways and it hasn't just been in that accounting sort of pathway. Um, was there like a level of dissonance there? Like did you ever question like why you were focused on, you know, working at a, at a accounting firm but then you had all these things on the side? Was there any friction there at times? Yeah, it, it was very difficult to be honest because I, like I said, whilst I wanted to be in these roles, mm. um, I quickly, very quickly realized like one or two years in that like, man, this is pretty boring. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, do, like doing these number stuff, it just doesn't interest me. Like it's the same repetitive things. And, and I guess you get, you, you either go, yeah, I'm okay at it. I'm good at it or I'm okay at it. Like I can follow instructions and I can do it. But like, 
what is this doing to contribute to society? So mm. I very quickly was like, okay, I've, I can go down this partner plan and if I work hard, do the hours, I can do that. But um, very quickly on, I was like, nah, like surely there's more out there. And when you hear stories of what other people have done, um, it does inspire you. Like I had people uh, within my group that had done some interesting things and were starting mm. to explore different opportunities and stuff and these are people in the arts field um that were performing artists and i was like wow like th- like that's cool like i want to yeah. be able to say 10 10 years from now i'm doing something different you know like i, I made it made a difference doing something different so in my mind the difficult part was like what can i do like what what is out there that is different to what i'm doing and like i'm an accountant like what what is there so when these opportunities came up like i've i, I have a passion for dancing like and i've done that for years so when a couple of friends reached out, like during this time, when when I le- left Big Four, they were like, you know, would you want to join a dance company? Like, it's going to take a lot of commitment. It's going to be weekends. Where we're going to perform? Where you're going to do shows? I was like, yeah, like cool. Maybe this is my out. This is my way to do something different. So I got involved in that, and then um, then a couple of friends one night uh, we got together and we were having. Um, like a bottle of wine and a few of the guys in the team mm. had this idea of holding like a, a sporting event that would go to charity and um, we got together we had a bottle of wine by the end of the bottle of wine we were like hey wouldn't it be cool if we started charity and like this is at a time <laughs> we were like charity like what, what's involved with that and I mean this is what wine does to you you come up <laughs> with great ideas or stupid <laughs> ideas um, we that idea turned into the not-for-profit third man up that um, that collectively uh, we we started and and we've been involved in and effectively it's a it's a not for profit that organises sporting and social events to raise money as well as the profile of smaller smaller charities out there and that was another out for me I was like yeah okay great like maybe this is my way to give back like it was really interesting because the people that got together um, that were having this discussion my friends everyone had a different skill set like you know someone had come from like the banking industry someone had the legal side of things and then the marketing side of things. And I was the accountant. And I was like, okay, guys, I got this. Like, I know how to do financial statements. Like, I know how to, like, do all this. And to this day, they're like, thank God Rishi was there to do the number stuff. Because now when we submit reports, they're like, man, we have no idea what to do. And I was like, guys, isn't this, like, simple, like, doing financial stuff? But what you realize is that numbers is actually a very unique skill set. It's applicable to anything and everything. Mm. And... And you'd be surprised how little people are able to understand it. And so they need someone who's an expert in that field. So um, the not-for-profit was an outlet and loved it. And that really made me see like, hey, I can contribute. Like, you know, there's opportunities out there. If you do it, you can get involved. Um, And the Uber was the other thing. Like I was like, hey, surely I'm more of a person than just someone who sits behind a desk. So that was the other one that came about. Man, that's incredible. All these different outlets that you found. And what, what stands out here is it seems like you're constantly keeping yourself busy and through that you're in a state of flow. So you're always engaged and you always have something on your mind in a positive way. And one thing I've learned this year, you know, spending so much time with myself is that being engaged is such a crucial part of your mental health because if you're just not doing too much and you're, you know, you're sitting in your room like just waiting for things to happen, you start to ruminate, you start to overthink things and that leads to toxic thoughts and that can eventuate into a mental illness um, at, at its worst. So yeah, I think keeping yourself busy is such a crucial part. Do you think when you got involved in all those things outside of work and as well as work, was that a powerful tool for you? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's interesting because back then I didn't think about my mental health. So mm. in the last four or five years, I am able to under- understand myself and what I had inadvertently done without realizing. So it, back then it wasn't like I'm going to get involved in all these things and hopefully I feel better about myself. Like it was honestly just, uh, okay, I've got a, a passion for these things. Like everything mm. has to start with passion. Yeah. Like I've got a passion for these things um, and, and I've got a drive that I want to achieve it. I guess I was lucky that it kept me busy because you're absolutely right. Like being engaged, utilizing your mind, um, having goals every day, every week, and feeling like you're you're, you're achieving them, contribute and help. Um, so that would have that would have helped definitely. Now I, because I understand what is involved in keeping yourself busy and your mind active, I'm probably a bit more conscious about it now. But it's worked in almost a reverse order now because I'm like, hang on a second, I'm actually stressing myself out. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a bit. Um, so I might be feeling a bit tired or a bit restless, or my friends can notice like Rishi's a bit stressed, and I'm like, oh man, like actually the things I'm doing is, is not helping me. Like I'm doing it now just to tick the boxes. So, what's really important is to actually you know take stock sometimes and realize like, what you need to have some self care and self love. So in between all this, um, like what helps you kind of relax? And there's so many different things. Like, you know, it could be actually going for a run, going for a walk. How it could be having a shower. Like, mm. you know, you could be have the greatest shower for just like 10 minutes sitting under the hot water and that yeah. will relax you. Could could be sleeping in. Um, yeah, so now, now I'm a bit more uh, mindful on that and, and knowing what works for me. Whereas in the past, I was just kind of learning about myself. And I mean, that said, like it took me years to understand who I am, the people I like to surround myself with and, and what works for me. And I mean, I still haven't found what exactly works for me. You mentioned five years ago that mental health wasn't something that was at the front of your mind. But it seems like from the way you're talking, it's definitely changed over the years. Has there been anything in particular that's made you transition towards that or has it been you know a combination of like what's happening in society with the general awareness growing and with coronavirus this year that you've thought a lot more about your mental health yeah i i mean being part of third man up mm. uh, which started in 2016-17 um r- helped me understand the issues facing young people at that point in time yeah. and the difficulties facing youth um either might be that we're homeless or that were disadvantaged, I, I could definitely see that. Uh, obviously, growing up, I had known um, that how mental health can affect people because in our community, um, we had a lot of friends and families where um, disability w- w- was a common um, you know, factor for a lot of families. Yeah. So I'd seen that. But, um, I mean, I, I was very much affected by it in the last 12 months where um, I actually had the unfortunate passing of one of my best mates last year and we we found out that he was um, facing mental health battles. And that was a very uh, confronting time to see this happen so close um, to you. I mean, I'd spoken about it at, at these Third Man Up events prior to that. You think you understand it. And until you face it and you see a loved one in your life go through it, you really don't appreciate um, what people are potentially going through and the impact that can have on people's lives. So it's since then, it's been um, a, a journey of understanding a lot deeper what mental health is, 
um, how it can impact people and how we can help people. The hardest part, yeah, in all this conversation is there's mm. no, there's no um, secret sauce to, to mental health. Like it is absolutely a journey and um, different things work for different people. And the biggest thing I've learned, and I think we will unpack it a bit more in this conversation, is that um, everyone has something to offer. Like mm. everyone has got something that you can learn from. And so the most important thing is talking to people. The most important people, most important thing is like getting ideas from different people, seeing what works with you, bouncing that off, um, and having connections with people that can be there to support you. Well, that was poetry, man. That was that was very nicely said, and it's it's the <laughs> essence. It's the essence of what we want to do at Bottled Up because creating conversations is 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 our goal, and everyone has something to say, and checking in on anyone and everyone is the most important thing, and. I guess this story um, in the last 12 months is just is an important life lesson of why we need to do so. And I guess just to give our audience a bit of context, um, this event affected us both because I, I also knew this person and I attended the, the funeral as well. And I saw you speak there and I'd just like to say, man, that was a, it was a really heartwarming speech. I remember hearing it and I was like, this is, this is the most, it's, it was so painful. Like you can't even put it in words. Because um, mm. I was also going through a very difficult time when I heard the news, and it was it was very painful. Not not because I didn't know that person extremely well, but he was still he still came across as that very you know joyful, happy you know lightens your lightens your day sort of person. I knew him briefly, so to hear that news was an absolute shock. Like how can this happen? To go there and to see see the family members, it, it really struck me. On top of that, you would know this as well, that it happened during IUK Day or during that mm. time. So it all came together and I was like, holy shit, this stuff is real. And I remember hearing in, in one of the speeches that someone said, someone needs to do more about this. And to be, to, to be completely raw here, I think part of my motivations for even starting Bottled Up came from that event. Mm. And uh, you've touched on something, I think, which is important. And I mean, in, in the time that I've had to reflect... Um, is that, you know, we all put on a face, um, mm. like a facade, and sometimes you can't see through that facade of, of what's actually going on. So I remember my mate, he was the most jovial person you can imagine in the room. Like, you know, would, would light up the room with his smile, with his laugh, um, be the person that everyone would gravitate to, mm. never have anything ill to say, and you would think this person is just going home and having a ball, you know? Mm. Um, little did we know there were a lot of things that were happening in his life that um, that were really impacting him and were affecting him daily. And what, one thing we've understood is that um, things can change very quickly, like very quickly, like, you know, there could be things that have been bottling up for a while, mm. um, over years and years and years, but there can be trigger points that can change someone's life overnight because of a work situation. You, know, you can literally have a bad day at work mm. um, and then that changes who you are as a human being or as a person because your fundamental values change and, and you might doubt yourself. And, and these are things that I, I understand and I see now of how our emotions swing. And the important aspect from this is that you need 
to have your support networks around you. And sometimes we don't because we don't know what we need. But what we actively can do as people and as friends is to, is to ask questions of our friends on how they're going. And are they okay? Like, are you okay days? When I think of all the different things that are out there on mental health, are you okay days? Probably the one that I think they've nailed what is the crux of, um, of something that can really help people. Because if you, if you can ask your friends, hey, are you okay? What's happening? When you notice something might be a bit off, that conversation can actually help the person um, get things off their chest, um, to talk it out. Um, to share something that they might not have shared, mm. to then maybe you being able to give them an idea or a guidance on where to go and what to do. I mean, the thing to, to remember is we don't have the answers. So asking, are you okay, doesn't mean that if someone comes back to you with something, you're meant to have the answers. Like, end of the day, be yourself. Like, that person is your friend because they trust you. And if, if you can be you and you can put us like you can smile you can wrap your hands around them um you know you can share some time with them that could make a big difference in that person's life so yeah the the uh science is very important and we sometimes don't know what science to look out for and i think that's also an important discussion because you the obvious one is you can notice when someone physically gives mm. you a sign and um you can see they're down like you can see that now that if you're at if you see someone at that stage it is probably quite late and and that's where it's a good time to ensure that you are asking um should should someone intervene or if someone getting help um that's the time when hopefully the friends are there and can see that but there's lots that happens behind the scenes like in our households in our home in our bedroom mm. when we come home from work when exams times are on and the signs there can be um, a friend shuts you off uh, or shuts themselves out from um, social media. Um, you know, you, all of a sudden you don't hear them, hear from them for a while or they're not coming to events as much or, you know, they've lost that bit of spark I yeah. in that they've had. Um, and it's important to talk to your friends about, like, so if, you, if you're uncomfortable to directly speak to that person, he or she, um, you've got a friendship network. Like, speak to the friends around them. Be like, hey, like, does this seem right? Like I've noticed this person is acting a bit strangely. Guys, girls, let's get around. Like let's, I mean, now it's difficult to catch up, but like let's do a Zoom catch up. Like, you know, I noticed this person is not feeling too great. Um, let's do this. And I mean, I've actively done that. Like since everything that's happened, like I'm picking up on science. I remember with my friendship groups, we've had a few instances where, um, and people are very open with their feelings now. I think the benefit is through these conversations, people are talking yeah. about how they feel. So in these instances, we had a friend saying like, look, guys, I'm, I'm just not feeling great. Uh, like, guys, okay. Like, you understand where that, that concept is. And then like when I spoke to my friends, I was like, look, let's get around him. Mm. Um, let, let's spend some time. Let's see if we, this was pre-COVID. Let's take him out. And I remember he said, he came back a few, few weeks later and he said, look, guys, I was actually really down and that really helped me. Um, so, yeah, so that... That's some powerful takeaways, hopefully, for some people. Yeah, no, I can 100% say that that's very powerful. And um, even that social media thing, I, I've definitely had moments in, this, in the last few weeks where I've you know, gone off social media and I'm like, I'm not touching it. <laughs> Maybe it's because I watched The Social Dilemma um, <laughs> and I've had friends. I've been lucky enough to have friends, you know, just say, like, are you okay? Or are you just off social media? I'm like, nah, nah, I'm all right. Um, and I've seen it happen mm. the other way. I've seen friends who haven't replied as quickly. Maybe they're sick of, of being on their phone all the time. But, yeah, it's very, it's very difficult in times like these as well to know what signs to look out for because you don't know if something 
is is changing because of the situation around us because of the lockdown or whether mm. something is actually going on with that person it's such a it's such a hard thing to distinguish between for yourself and for others yeah i mean because we, we we're trying to look after ourselves at the moment and almost to say like look look after other people as well is another thing to to put on but i i think what we realize is it comes natural to us like you know we've got a friendship group and we care about other people and the importance now is we need to care about each other as much as we can and have our, wrap our hands around each other at this point in time. Um, I mean, another thought that comes to my mind, which in this whole space of mental health that has really shone in my household was after everything that's happened in the last six months or so, um, I remember coming home and my brother actually, um, he was having a bad day and like he's growing up now, so he's having a bad day. And um, he's had no context of anything that's, that's happened previously mm. to our mutual friend. And mm. um, he one day came home and said, guys, I'm depressed. Um, I, want, I, want to, I want to kill myself. Like, this is what he said. Like, mm. this is in front of, like, mom, dad and me. And, I, and I, it just hit me in the face. I was just like, whoa, like, what? Like, this is happening in, in my family, in my home. Um, and it was a really important conversation with my parents because I was like, mom, dad, like, like as much as he's got a disability and he might not know what he's saying, um, you know, we have to, we have to address it. We have to take it seriously. We have to understand, um, why he's saying it. Um, and we have to either see if we can seek help for him. So I remember we sat down with him, we had really deep conversations and like, we let him talk and it was like, what is, what's happening? Talk to us. And he was having issues at work and he was worried about, um, what people were thinking about him at work. And like, you know, these are very common. <laughs> like when I say what the issue is, like I'm sure we can all relate exactly to that cause. Mm. Um, and it's really, you know, for someone so raw who he does it, like his life is quite simple. Like it's like, you know, it's, it's like play video games, um, have fun, eat food, go to work, spend time with the family, enjoy life. But like for him to have stresses of the world, it just hit me and going like, oh man, like under my own roof, like as much as I want to spend time and make him happy, like he's got the pressures of what's going on. Anxiety, depression is hitting him. And things that we've done to help is we've, we've got a psychologist that, that he sees. And uh, I mean, the thing is we've been able to find, find out like what is working for him. And we can see speaking to someone new has definitely helped. Um, everyone's different. So I've spoken to a lot of friends since this time. And a lot of, some people say, look, the psychologist isn't for me, which is completely fine. Um, but in this instance, I think having professional help when my parents don't have the answer, like, I think we all can relate. Our parents come from a different background Mm. and the way they're taught to get over feelings and resilience, is completely different to how how we're taught. Yeah. So I was like, mom, dad, like, and they've been great. They've been absolutely fantastic. But like, he's not going to listen to what they say. And I mean, such a common thing. Like, you know, we, like, even I felt trapped to this where I'd be like, oh, Rohan, like, it's not as bad as you think. Like, you know, tomorrow will be fine. Like, don't stress too much. Like, you know, smile. And I looked at myself, I was like, wait, I'm just being like my parents saying, like, it'll be fine. I'd just be like, no, okay, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Um, or have an external party come and help. So we've, that's help psychologist. Um, he's part of the NDIS program, the National Disability Insurance Cream, and that has been one of the, the most incredible and phenomenal initiatives and programs that I think the government has put in place because it's just given so much support to our family and him 
where he yeah. can have an independent life and like he's got a gym trainer um he's got a carer that they go out and play basketball watch movies so he's got friends that he's made through this he's got an ot it has quite genuinely changed his life and it's kept him busy like it has kept him busy um which is fantastic Mm, wow and that's all that's all happened like do you think that's changed because of what's happened in the last 12 months that relationship and the level of care that's happening in your family with your parents asking these things and you know almost being more cautious of these terms being dropped around like it's not just even the word depressed like even words such as like committed and you know bipolar these are very very serious and in the worst case can be life-threatening illnesses so um, when you do hear those terms, it has to be approached with a certain level of care, and uh, like you, you guys have done that, um, and that, it seems like a positive, positive outcome, and you're on the right journey, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I think parents are understanding like the enormity of of mental health and mm. like the impacts and how close it can affect people. Like people change their jobs or fail exams or like, you know, their life can change. And I think um, parents from our background actually understanding this a lot more. Mm. Um, these conversations help, like, you know, understanding these events are there, like Third Man Up organized um, uh, mental health panel events. And like, so these events are obviously put on social media, parents see that they're happening. They might ask questions and be like, okay, like, why is everyone talking about this? And it's great. Like uh, in the media, it's always talked about now, which is great. So that that constant messaging that's happening is inadvertently going to filter down to our parents. And um, it, like, I'm excited for how we will be as parents. Like, I hope actually yeah. that, um, you know, we, we have learned from this and we will be much better to our, to our kids and, and be able to help them through everything they're going to go through. But social media and technology is only going to connect us more and is going to make us more closer to the outside world and to outside noises and being able to block that out is going to be even more difficult. Mm. Yeah, and I, I want to touch a bit more on the the stuff that you've actually done with Third Man Up because from from the outside, uh, it, it kind of seemed to me like this this event was obviously so so tragic, and it's something that you don't obviously get over um, ever. It, it can take years and maybe never happen, obviously, um, and that's that's just, that's the way life is. But it's this to me, it stands out as this idea of you know turning turning your your pain into passion and it seemed like you you had this this passion for mental health right after this happened and that came through November and all the work you did for Third Man Up. So talk to me about, you know, the period, the last three months of last year, because I know you were heavily involved in the mental health space and did an amazing job because I remember seeing a lot of that stuff in social media, man. So it made a difference for me for sure. That, uh, thank you. That's um like, yeah, you... You don't, you don't hear or know that stuff and you don't know the actions, um, how they can impact other people. But I remember thinking at the time, once everything had happened, I really understood the importance of um, the impact of one person. Yeah, mm. Like, you know, every life um, has a massive um, count and difference. And if you can impact one person, you've, you've probably helped so many more people through that domino mm. effect. Um, and... And I, I actually found it very, very difficult after that time to know what I should do. It was mm. a very difficult time because um, I had, I was involved in Third Man Up. We were a not-for-profit. I was doing things on these things. And I was like, what more, like, what is there more I can do? And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, look, November's, uh, Movember's around the corner. 
And um, I really want to get this message out there. Like, you know, it, it is so important. I've seen it. The only way we can get other people to, to stand tall and listen is if you can share your story and you can share the importance of it. So I was like, I've got something that I need to share. And um, people need to take notice because don't want anyone ever to go through this. And um, that that really kind of propelled that forward. And uh, my third man up group was fantastic. Uh, our team, they were also, um, having seen what had happened, they wanted to get involved. And we, we really narrowed our focus on mental health as a cause that we wanted to address. And um, we realized very quickly what conversations can do to help people and to really break the stigma about mental health, just as we're having here. And we decided to organize a panel event where we we had experienced um, professionals in this field who had incredible stories to share and advice to give, as well as people who had lived experience from um, life circumstances that had gone through. So I wasn't a speaker, mm. but I, there's so many people that we met during this time who had um, very powerful stories to share of things they've been through, how they've got through it. And, and what I learned the most from, from this panel, these panel events and the different speakers we had is that no matter walk, what walk of life you're from, um, we have so many issues that can weigh us down. Like it is so different. Like everyone has the same one. Yeah. Um, but there's a common cause of like, it made me feel down. Um, it, it didn't make me feel good. So I think understanding that the normality of that happening is important. And we then need to, the next step of that, of understanding and acceptance of that is then, okay, like what works for me to make me feel better? Because if you can accept that, that happens. But if you can then see that there is light and there's something that can help you get through things, that is a powerful tool. Um, which we should be able to use to have resi- um, resilience. So, like I said, I'm still trying to find my tools that mm. work for me. Um, I have my days where things aren't great, and um, but I'm qu- quick to think like, okay, Rish, go for a workout, go for a run, listen to music. And um, one of the things that I, I really hold to is like, tomorrow's going to be a new day. Mm. You know, as bad as today is, um, get some sleep. Wake up tomorrow, the sun's going to come up, you're going to eat breakfast, you're going to feel different, you're going to have a shower, you might get a message in the morning from someone who's just going to brighten up your day, you're going to meet someone, um, your life's going to change. Like, honestly, that's that's the way (laughs) I deal with my shit days. Yeah, it's a beautiful message. And the message you mentioned of how all these chapters in our lives, we're always exposed to, to things that may go against us. So we have to truly find out how we can be more resilient. I remember when I was uh, in high school, I thought, you know, once I pass my exams, it's all going to be sunshine, rainbows, and I'm just going to go through uni. <laughs> like, little did I know, like, uni is actually the hard part. And then now when you get yeah. up to uni, people will tell you, you know, full-time work is the, real, is the real deal. That's when you start facing the challenges and you have a mortgage and whatnot. So it's never ending that you're going to face the ups and downs of life. And your story is um, tr- truly an a, a example of that. Um, and that's why I do think that resilience is the key towards mental health. It's trying to understand how we can build, build ourselves to, to get through those tough times and focus on the positives, really. Um, so what are some, like, some of the key takeaways you've found um, for well-being in yourself? Because I know it's such a dynamic thing. And we were talking about this yesterday, actually, but this idea of mm. mindfulness. And, and you mentioned that, you know, even 
watching TV is a form of mindfulness. So how does, yep. how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, everyone's different. Mm. So for me, meditation is something I, uh, it's a tool that I've learnt, um, some practices I've learnt that um, have definitely been able to clear my mind and ground me. Um, it's not something I'm able to practice every day, but it's something that's able to root me and center me back down, which has been incredible since I've learned. Um, it's not something you can push on people. You can't just be like, hey man, you're down, like try meditation. Like mm. that doesn't work like that. Like I really feel like you have to, from inside, I feel like you have to, from inside, search for what works for you. So you have to be like, okay, I'm going to download this calm meditation app because like there's something about it it's um you know it's taking my interest i'm going to download i'm going to give it a go or like i've heard this guy on youtube um his messaging sounds good i'm going to give him a listen i'm going to now follow what he does Mm. you can't push it on people like you can't just be like hey man you're feeling down like listen to this um it has to come from inside but the key messaging i think is in terms of mindfulness it doesn't have to be these old powerful things that people talk about spirituality and um, meditation like you said like it could be just sitting in front of the tv and binging on a show and like i think we've all been there we've done that Um, it could be like closing your eyes and just like sleeping or resting could be mindfulness it could be listening to music Um, i think one of the best ones which a lot of people probably relate is when you actually work out or you, you go for a walk you go for a run um, you know those hormones start kicking and you feel better for yourself so they yeah. they don't have to be these really all conquering things they can be quite simple things that can take five or ten minutes out of your day um, could be cooking um, yeah. so I think I'm still trying to explore what works for me um, I, I think spirituality is something that has changed my life and that has um, been because of the family unit like my parents have been something that that's something that they've been practicing from a very early age and like because you're surrounded by that you kind of learn and you're interested yeah. in it um, in, in any if anything spirituality has been a journey where I'm like hey this seems like something cool to learn like you know like I'm curious like I have a curious mind like what does this mean and like why why are people talking about it in this sense and I love the historical nature of it mm. it's somewhat related to our culture um, it might for some people give a couple of answers um, if anything, for me, it's like, man, like, I want to get to that stage. I want to be a yogi. Like, I want to figure out, like, how these guys <laughs> do it. Like, you know, where they close their eyes and they're in heaven. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Um, so it's, it's that challenge. And, I mean, a very important thing, if we're talking about spirituality, I've heard um, mm. from a yogi. So I, I listen to Sadhguru, who, who for me has been someone I just connect with. Um, he mentioned mm. one thing where, he, like he said, we spend about, 10, 15 years learning a language like mm. from, from an early age till um, we go to high school, yeah? Yep. Um, just to communicate with each other. But people expect to understand spirituality in two minutes. Like they're like, okay, give me a mantra that when I close my eyes and I chant it for two minutes, it's going to change my world. He's like, no, it takes years to perfect and get that right. Like it's a journey of 10 years to understand that language. And if anything, it's a language that's inside of you. And when I heard that, I was like, shit, okay, I've got 15 years. This is going to take ages, but, like, mm. I got it. I was like, that makes sense to me. Like, it makes sense, like, why when I close my eyes, it, like, I feel something, but I'm, I'm not screaming or shouting or, or things are happening. Everyone is different. Um, but if you're willing to stay the course, 
um, it might just work for you. So I don't know, 10 years from now, maybe let's talk and see like how far spirituality got me. Maybe <laughs> sleeping is, is going to be the one, like sleeping <laughs> is the one that when you wake up in the morning, you feel good about it. So yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's such a, such an important message to get out there for uh, the Southeast Asian community, man. I think that often we were surrounded by religion and spirituality at a young age and at least for me, I never understood what was going on. It was kind of like a ritual that I had to do almost mindlessly. Um, but now as, a, as a someone who's studying science and, and reading about people who are at, at the top of this field, there, there is so much value in the ancient scriptures, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, all these things that we had in comic books almost as kids. Yep. And, you know, people are drawing upon those, those findings and the messages from them to to form the, the theories of how we think about human life now. And I'm like, there's something profound about what our parents taught us at a young age. So going forward with that, like, I think there's, you know, it, it takes time to realize whether it, it, it's going to be part of your life, but it's something that you should be open to. And I'm still trying to figure that out myself. And yeah, yeah. man, we've touched on a lot of things. Uh, we've, it feels yeah. like, a, it feels yeah, like a roller coaster to go right from the start through everything that's happened and where you are now. Um, is there any final messages you want to leave for our audience as we enter summer? Oh, well, summer's an exciting time. Like, sun's out. Um, we have the opportunity to... I think Victoria's done a, a fantastic job. Like, I remember seeing something online saying, like, um, there was a time when UK and Victoria had the same amount of COVID cases, like mm. 753. And yeah. now you fast forward, Victoria's been able to drop it down to like under five, yeah. whereas UK and London has gone to like 16,500. Mm. So we should be incredibly proud of what we've been able to do. And hopefully this means that we actually have a summer where we can enjoy ourselves. Um, so I'm very excited for that. Um, in terms of, I mean, mental health, the conversation that, that we're having here the key message is, as your name says, like don't don't keep things bottled up. Um, have a chat. Find the person in your life who having a chat to really helps. Um, if you are a person who's doing okay as well, and you, you might actually want to be the person that reaches out and sees how your friends are going, because um, that can be just as important. You don't want to go through what me, you, um, and our friends have gone through. Because um, this is something that is never going to, um, unfortunately, change and, and is going to be part of our lives going forward. Mm. Um, and it hurts. It, it hurts a lot. But um, if we can help the next individual, the next family, the next people, then um, I think that's a beautiful thing. Mm. Well, it's a beautiful message. And yeah, hopefully it will, it will brighten up um, some, some people's mm. days. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, man, for your time, for all your advice and for sharing that story because it obviously takes a lot of a lot of courage. And as you said, it's the first time that you've reflected on what's happened in the last 12 months. It's the first time yeah. I've probably talked about it as well. But, but we feel a bit better that we've been able to talk about something that we share mm. um, that is very important to us. And I've, I've loved this conversation. Like, to be honest, just, just talking to you about, about yeah. a topic that you wouldn't otherwise talk to with people. And mm. I think, if anything, what you can show is you can go for a walk with a mate and you can actually talk about mental health. Like, yeah, yeah. like, you know, you can have this conversation with people and you can be like, hey, so what do you do for mindfulness? Or like, what works for you? 
Um, and it can be even like a, a left-handed conversation when you and a mate are talking about gym or something and then you steer in the direction of like, hey, does that make you feel better? Or like, you know, there's like, what makes you feel better? Like, it can be something like that, which can be really powerful. Or it can even be like saying like, hey, I know someone who's not doing too well. Do you have some tips on, on, on how I can help them? So yeah, that would be great. Everything Bottled Up is doing online is fantastic. So everyone who's listening to this is obviously um, online and seeing what you guys are posting, but it's phenomenal and we need more of that. So I'm, I'm all pro everything you're doing and love to support it. Yeah, thanks, man. Hopefully, hopefully we can we can think of something for November. Man. I'm, I'm keen to mm. <laughs> to have something cheeky coming up, but more to come on that later. Um, yeah, again, <laughs> yep. thanks so much. Thank you, mate. And that's another episode done and dusted. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. We really do think Rishi's story has some powerful takeaways. As always, if you want to reach out to him, you can through the show notes below. Uh, next week, we've got a very special episode about Movember uh, to discuss men's health. Uh, Movember is a fantastic initiative and we thought, how else to kick it off by doing a podcast? So, yeah, excited for that. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy and keep active. <laughs>